friends? Welcome back for another episode of the It's Murder Y'all podcast. I'm your host, Amber, and with me today is a man whose country is a turnip green, my husband, Rob. Say hey, Rob. Country is a turnip green. Yep. You know what that's from, right? Isn't that a country song? It is. It's, uh, she's got country her daddy's money. Country has a turnip green. Yeah, she's got her daddy's got money. Her daddy's money, her mama's good looks. This is actually the second time I've used that song in our intro, because I did the more laughs than a stack of comic books. Oh yeah, episode. that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm basically turning to country songs now because I'm running really? out of funny. Yeah, I'm running out of funny things to say. So we have reached the end of our initial Georgia series. So we're going to cap it per usual with three cases of missing Black women from Georgia. So I ran into a situation where my options were basically women who had been covered by several other podcasts or women who literally have no information available about them. So I did my best to choose three women who you know they may have had. A couple podcast episodes done about them, but not to an, it's not a crazy extent. It's not like you're going to find 17 other podcast episodes. And interestingly enough, there's a common thread that runs through all three of the cases that I didn't realize until after I'd finished my research. And so it was not on purpose, which I, it'll make sense at the end. Also, if you're interested in hearing more about the cases of missing black women, I highly recommend the Black Girl Gone podcast and the Overlooked podcast. I'm going to include their info in the show notes. And I have to give the Vanish podcast the biggest shout out. I know I sang its praises in the Felicia Cochran episode, which I think was Missing in Alabama Part 1. But it, y'all, it's such a good Missing Persons podcast. The thing I like about it is it tells the missing person's story through interviews with their friends and loved ones. So you get to hear it directly from them. And we love a primary source. So I use Vanish as a source for one of the cases we're about to cover. So it will also be linked in the show notes. So now, without further ado, let's dive into our Black and Missing Women from Georgia. Let's do it. Dima Shaw LaShawn Collins, also known as Dee Dee, was born July 12th, 1971, making her a Gemini. And that is literally all I know about the early part of her life. It's really frustrating how little information that I could find about her. I'm also not super confident on my pronunciation of her name because there are literally no videos that mention her name, at least none that my FBI level Googling skills could find. I think names are really important. So for the remainder of her story, I'm going to refer to her as Dee Dee, since that's what she commonly went by and... I don't want to unintentionally and repeatedly mispronounce her name. So here's what I do know about Dee Dee. By 2003, she was working as a real estate loan officer, and she had five children, including a set of twin girls. And she lived... so many kids. That's a lot of children. I just don't understand how people... This is a small tangent, but I just... I love our child, but I don't understand people that have kids, and then they're in the throes of trying to provide for that family with the, that their kids are in and themselves and their spouse and yeah, yeah. And then, then the middle of all of it, sometimes accidentally, I get it, but people are like, we should do it. We should, we should, we should, there's, we should make five of these. This is well, what we should, we should make five children. Well, I mean, some people really love kids. And then I think you also get in a situation financially irresponsible. Well, I don't know. I don't know. This is, I, a, this is a hot take apparently. I also feel like there are instances where, you know, people get married young, they have kids, they split up, and then you get remarried and you're still young. Well, you want to have kids with this person. So then you have more kids. So I don't know. Not It's not necessarily our vibe. I mean, I could handle another one. I could not do five. I don't have the bandwidth to do to handle five. I barely have the bandwidth to handle one, I feel like sometimes. I I just, I couldn't. I couldn't function as a multi-kid parent. I don't think I, I just, I, it, whatever is inside of people that have more than one child, 
is not what is inside of me as a father. I, I feel just, like I'd be worried that like I wouldn't be able to evenly divide my attention and stuff, and All I right. wouldn't want any one of them to feel left out. Mm -hmm. So that would be hard. So yeah. uh, Dee Dee, she had five kids, and to her defense, she does have a set of twins. So that that ups the numbers unintentionally. And I think the twins yeah. were were her last set. Um, I think they were her last kids because uh, she had married the twins' Seems father. Like a good time to stop. <laughs> yeah. Um, Shit, she had, we got five. Damn it. <laughs> I was only trying for four. Dee Dee had married the twins' father in 1999, but they had separated. But in early 2003, the husband wanted to reconcile. And so Dee Dee allowed him to move back in with her in August of 2003. Although her mama, Viola Corbett, would later say that Dee Dee had discussed filing for divorce a month earlier. Miss Viola also later said that Dee Dee had been dating a new guy. So some interesting dynamics going on there. Like you're you're separated. He wants to get back together. You let him move in, but you're dating another guy. Does he know? We don't know. So on August 28th, 2003, 32-year-old Dee Dee needed to run some errands. So she borrowed a friend's 1994 red Jeep Grand Cherokee. Witnesses claim to have seen her at 11.52 a.m. that morning near the 600 block of Mayland Avenue in southwest Atlanta. She later spoke with her mama at around 7 p.m. that night. Miss Viola said that Dee Dee was laughing and happy when they talked, and nothing seemed out of the ordinary. That was the last time anyone would ever hear from Dee Dee. Three weeks after her disappearance, the red Jeep Grand Cherokee was found abandoned near the 3500 block of Clubhouse Drive East in Decatur, Georgia. Decatur is about five miles northeast of Atlanta, and according to Google, it's about a 25-minute drive from Mayland Avenue, where Dee Dee was last seen, and Clubhouse Drive, where the car was found. Clubhouse Drive, that sounds familiar to me. It's got to be a lyric in a song or something. Maybe. I, I can, like, hear it in my head. Anyways, that's all, literally all I know about Dee Dee, y'all. It's all, it's all I could find. I, found I was just thinking to myself when you were laying out some of those facts just now that, like... If one was going to make a nondescript missing persons or murder cocktail, you just threw out a lot of the ingredients that would make one. <laughs> Literally. There, there's a there's reason. There's some sketchy marriage shit. There's fucking. Right. You know, it's like missing persons bingo. Yeah. I was only able to find two newspaper articles that mentioned DD at all. There was a tiny little blurb in the Detroit Free Press in August of 2005, in an article about missing women of color. And then her name was mentioned, like literally just, they wrote her name in a Star Gazette article along with other missing Black women. And that that's it. That, that's it. So I got pretty much all of my information for this case from Dee Dee's page on the Charlie Project website and a 2020 Essence Magazine article titled, Have You Seen Her?, which profiles several missing Black women. The tagline for that article is, when Black women disappear, the silence can be deafening. And that is the damn truth. We're going to discuss it later, but still, I'm on my soapbox of like, it, can we just give a little bit more of a shit about missing people of color, specific, specifically missing women of color? Can we care just a smidge more? So I found a Reddit thread about Dee Dee's disappearance, but of course, that being Reddit, we got to take it with a grain of salt and we have to know that it's, it's just conjecture. It's just discussion. But kind of the main themes in the comments of the post are, number one, what evidence, if any, do law enforcement have? As one Reddit user wrote, it's hard to tell whether the preliminary investigatory, that's a word, steps aren't being taken or whether they are, and it's just a matter of being publicized. Like, we have no idea what law enforcement know or don't know. Is there any evidence? Like, are there any suspects? Literally don't know. I thought about doing a Freedom of Information Act, but apparently, I think you have to live in Georgia, and obviously I don't live there anymore. But if you are a listener who lives in Georgia, 
why don't you file a, a Freedom of Information Act request and then tell me what you find? Because I'm nosy. So the second theme is basically the people on the Reddit thread are like, it's either the estranged husband or it's the new guy. Like one of them did it. On one hand, the husband could have found out about the new guy and got mad. Or as another Reddit user pointed out, it could be a scenario where the new guy gets mad when he finds out that she's married. And as they pointed out, he's more anonymous than the husband. She just met him. Like he he could have been trolling for victims. Like it could have been part of his plan all along. So I want to stop here and discuss some It's Murder Y'all PSA slash life rules. So first one is one that we've discussed before, and that is you do not have to murder your cheating partner. Like they're an, an infinite- no, just dip out. Right. And also there are an infinite number of ways and options to fuck up their life, their bank account, their psyche, their self-esteem. You ain't got to kill them. You can make their life suck, but you ain't got to kill them. Secondly, if you are dating a new person, you got to tell somebody, even if it's just like a little casual thing, you've got to not only mention it to somebody, but you also need to tell them the person's name. Tell your mama, tell your bestie, tell a trusted coworker, tell your preacher, tell whoever. But just make sure you tell somebody just in case that person ends up being a weirdo who kidnaps or murders you. Because I can't think of any off the top of my head right now. But there are other cases where a person, it turns out that they were murdered or kidnapped. And, oh, well, they were dating this person. Well, who is it? Well, nobody knows. Well, that's not helpful. So don't be keeping secrets. If you're dating somebody, tell somebody. Anyways, I have one more quick side note about Dee Dee before we move along. So I was searching YouTube videos to find any information I could about her and also how to properly pronounce Dima Shaw. And I found what I thought was a memorial to her, but it ended up being like a rapper's, like a rapper's music video, but it opened and closed with footage of a memorial for Dee Dee, but they didn't say her name. It was, it was weird. And I don't think the song had anything to do with Dee Dee. So that was also weird. But anyways, Dee Dee's name, like I said, was never specifically mentioned. But one person said about her, quote, excuse my language, but she was a bad bitch, end quote. And I feel like that is how we should all think of Dee Dee as a bad bitch. Also, I feel like every woman, like that's how we want to be described. Am I a bad bitch? No, I'm not. But I want to be thought of as one. It was funny. It it was weird, though. Like So like, the only thing we know about this lady is that she was a bad bitch she was in the middle of a divorce and there was another entanglement and that she was also apparently a bad bitch. Yes. So she was married. They had separated, but he had moved back into her house. But a month earlier, she had told her mama that she was thinking about getting divorced. And she's also dating this new guy, but no one knows who it is. She also works as a real estate loan officer. You're going to want to, you're going to want to keep that in your back pocket. <laughs> you're funny. Okay. Dima Shaw LaShawn Cullens, a.k.a. Dee Dee, was 32 years old when she went missing on August 28, 2003. She's a black female, 5'6", 125 pounds. She was last seen wearing a blue denim skirt, blue denim sandals. This is very much 2003. And a brown short sleeve sweater. Like, I can picture that outfit in my head. A uh, little, little denim skirt with flip-flops. Is that what you said? Yeah, like a denim skirt. And then, like, the flip-flops were also denim. And then like a little brown short sleeve sweater. I, I don't, I'm not very privy to specifically 2003 women's fashion. Well, I feel like any ladies that are listening that were. I feel like age, little mini skirts were pretty popular then. They absolutely were. But yeah, I can see, I didn't wear a short sleeve sweater because I'm not, I don't, I don't really like short sleeve shirts. Short sleeves. Right. But I can definitely see her outfit in my head because as we said, she was a bad bitch. So Dee Dee's hair was naturally black, but it was dyed light brown at the time of her disappearance. 
She has a tattoo on the right side of her neck of a dove and a rose with the name Dee Dee written under it. Another tattoo of a rose on her right shoulder blade and her ears are pierced. If you have any information on the disappearance of Dima Shaw, Dee Dee Cullens, you can call the Atlanta Police Department at 404-853-4235. Dee Dee has been missing for 20 years and would be 52 years old today. I always feel like I'm on Unsolved Mysteries when I read that little blurb that I include after each missing person. Yeah. yeah. Just call me Robert Stack. So. <laughs> very, very petite voice for Robert Stack. This is your best Robert Stack impression. <laughs> yes, that's that's as good as you're going to get. So let's talk about our second case. Marcy Takesha Crane was born on May 29th, 1975, making her a Gemini, just like Dima Shaw. Marcy was the youngest of her two sisters, which made her close in age to her nieces and nephews. She loved her nieces and nephews, who all saw her as like the cool aunt. Her nephew, Jatarvis, who was really close in age to Marcy, basically they were more like cousins than aunt and nephew, because I think they were like two years apart. He spoke with the Vanished podcast about Marcy's early life. According to Jatarvis, life had been rough for Marcy growing up, and she had been in foster care a few times because, quote, she used to get into it with her mom. That's how she used to end up in foster care, end quote. He went on to describe her as a great person, saying that he had never she met. She used to get into it with her mama, so her mama was like, piss on you, I'm going to put you in foster care. I was going to ask about that. Can you just... Well, here's the deal with, I I don't know how the rules work now, but I can, and I've never experienced a situation. And now I, at one point had a choice to go, do you want to live with your mom or do you want to stay here at this giant orphanage thing scenario? Right. This home for children. And I chose to stay at the home for children. But the caveat to that was I knew that that was the only way I would graduate high school. And that was like very, very high on my to-do list at that given time when I was to make that decision. And I was like, no fucking way, dude. I'm so close to getting this thing that I previously didn't give any shits about and thought was impossible for me at that time in my life. So I, I chose to stay. But getting back to the point at hand, most of the time, it's not it's not a yo-yo like that. It's not a, hey, my kid's being a badass. Y'all come put them in foster care for a couple of weeks, and I'll come back and get them. And that's, if you go into get into the foster care system, your parents either both died at the same time or one or both of them was doing some fucked up shit and got caught up, and here you are. Part of me wonders, and it kind of connects to the next line that I'm going to read, but I wonder if when he said she used to get into it, if like it was physical, like if they used to get in physical fights. Probably. But again, then that goes to back to our point before that, you know, if this was a common occurrence, at some point you would think that the foster care people or the Department of Human Resources or whoever would be like, yo, how about, you know what, we're just going to hang on to her for a little while because y'all can't get y'all shit together. Which is kind of, by definition, what they're there to do in the first place is to make sure that parents and kids are living in harmonious relationships together. Yes, but as we discussed in the last two episodes, the foster care system in Georgia in particular was not outstanding. It's broke like a football bat. <laughs> it is. Mm -hmm. So Jatarvis went on to describe Marcy as a great person, saying that he had never met anyone who didn't like her or who had beef with her or wanted to hurt her. And quote, the only person I ever seen hurt her was her mom, end quote. So that leads me to to think, too. Yeah, it was probably mama was a shit ass. Yeah, which we're going to talk more about her a little bit later on. Jatarvis also described Marcy as an independent person who was on her own at a young age, probably due to her circumstances. Marcy also started having kids early. 
But that did not stop her from chasing her dreams. She was the first in her family to go to college, and she would go on to become a real estate agent and then a broker. By 2005, Marcy Everybody's had- fucking around in real estate in Georgia. Yeah, keep that in mind. By 2003, Marcy had five children, and she had recently married a guy named Major Peterson that she had met on the internet. Major ta- Major talked to the Vanish podcast about how about their whirlwind romance. He described her as absolutely gorgeous, both inside and out, and that when she asked him to marry her after just a few months of dating, he thought, quote, this has got to be a gag or something because she is so beautiful, end quote. Major acknowledged that Marcy was a risk taker and the type of person who was impulsive and spontaneous. So he didn't really take her proposal seriously, but he said yes, and they were married just two days later. Marcy's family had warned Major that Marcy tended to be really impulsive And she'd been known to date more than one person at a time, basically warning him that she was a little bit of a player. Major didn't really seem to care, though. On one hand, I think that he had on some rose-colored glasses. Like, he appreciated how meticulous she was about her appearance and how outgoing she was. Here's a little little man, man side of the story knowledge for that ass. A conventionally pretty and attractive woman. Not even one that's like shapely or shaped attractive or like hot or sexy, but... A just conventionally beautiful, attractive, pretty woman has magical properties. Men act all weird around them. You, it's, it is. There's, you, you have, you have a pretty lady quality, bruh. Like you, pretty as shit. <laughs> Me? <laughs> yeah. Oh, thanks. But I saw, so bruh, your pretty lady magic wafted over me. <laughs> Like, I was Walked like, oh, she pretty. Like, I picked you out of a crowded mall and was like, yo. I think I saw I, you first. You may have. I, when I saw you, I was like, oh, look at that one. You know what I mean? Like, that's a pretty one. You're cute. Um, and Marcy. I'm just saying, like, pretty, a pretty, a woman's beauty is very intoxicating to a man and can cloud their judgment in many, many types of ways, which is, this is not news, but I'm just, you know, confirming. And like Marcy was legit, like gorgeous. Of course, I'm going to post pictures. I always do, but she like, no wonder he was the way he was about her because she was gorgeous. So he liked obviously that she was gorgeous. He liked that she was really meticulous about her appearance. Also, I think that appearances in general were important to her because one of her kids mentioned how she always made sure they were in brand name clothes. So I think that like, that was something that she wanted to put this certain image forward. He also appreciated how outgoing she was and how she brought him out of his shell. He also said the dreaded phrase, quote, she went into a room and she'd light up the room. That's who she is, end quote. Y'all, you can't be lighting up rooms. You can't do it. It's bad. So it seemed like Marcy uh, was supporting Major a little bit too. So I'm sure that that helped. Like Major even acknowledged that Marcy treated him like a king. So, and that, this will be important later too. On the other hand, I think that their marriage and relationship were very unconventional. Like first, Marcy didn't take his name. Now, look, I am all about autonomy and women keeping their maiden name and all that if they want to. But it just something seemed weird about it in this situation. And I can't really explain it. But it is also a detail that will be important later. Secondly, they spent a fair amount of time apart. And from what I can gather, they they probably both had people on the side. So they meet online. They both think each other's hot, I guess. She has, it seems like she has a lot of money at this point, And he doesn't have shit. So she's hot and she's bankrolling for him. And so then they get married very quickly. It's it's all kind of weird. Marcy's family was not super jazzed about her new nuptials. Like, first of all, they didn't really know Major. They didn't even know his last name until well after they had gotten married. And they kind of felt like Marcy didn't know him either. 
Marcy's niece, Shahada, said that Marcy was kind of the person who just loved love and was probably lonely because of a recent breakup she had had with her longtime boyfriend, Carl, whom we're going to talk about more in a bit. Shahada also couldn't understand why Marcy would be with Major. Like, he didn't have anything. He didn't have his own place. He didn't have his own car. And Marcy always did really well for herself because, again, you know, she's working in real estate. So Shahada basically thought that Major was an opportunist. But, I mean, if you have this hot, rich lady that's interested in you, I mean, why would you not? Good, yeah. bad, or ugly? It goes back to the pretty lady magic. Right. It didn't help that Marcy... She's like, she already has a certain level of pretty lady magic, but then you add successful in there, and then, you know... Right. The, it, it intensifies the pretty lady magic. Yeah. It didn't help that Marcy's family had been really fond of her ex, Carl, whom she had dated for about six years. According to Shahada... The relationship eventually ended because of infidelities and some other things, which she didn't specifically state. And Carl and Marcy remained friends even after Marcy married Major. It wasn't specifically said, but it was implied that they were maybe a little bit more than friends. But they couched it kind of, or maybe even justified it, as being a business relationship. So as I mentioned early on, Marcy worked in real estate. And I believe that's how she originally connected with Carl. So I want to preface real quick that I don't know shit about real estate. And I couldn't find much on exactly what Marcy did. But from what Shahada and Major told the Vanished podcast, she was doing some shady shit. And they made it clear that they didn't even really know the details of what she was doing. Shahada said, quote, she did a lot of illegal things with mortgage. I'm not sure as to what extent, but I know she did a lot of things that weren't legal within the mortgage industry, end quote. According to Major, Marcy didn't deal with regular homes, only high-end homes. And she learned all of the predatory lending stuff from her ex-boyfriend, Carl. In addition to her illegal dealings with the real estate and mortgage industries, Marcy also had a bad habit of not paying her her uh, traffic tickets and also possibly writing. Shit will bite you in the ass. See, you can go to jail for not paying tickets. Here's the deal: what happens is is you can because some of the well, it it depends on where you're at. But here's, for example, what happened to me: I got a speeding ticket in Alabama, and it's not that I intentionally didn't pay it i completely completely forgot about it like i had all intentions of taking care of it i just completely you know it was a time in my life where i didn't have all my shit together in general so i just it just i completely forgot about it and then like i don't know probably six or nine months later i don't know maybe more than that i got pulled over on the way to work and my license had been suspended so then i got because of the unpaid ticket so i got my vehicle towed and i got a ticket and then i had to call a taxi to take me to work and then it cost me like eight or nine hundred dollars to get my truck back to pay all the fines that i owed please right so and that's just my example sometimes if you don't pay your your tickets then they they will definitely put out a warrant you know and then then they'll then you know do all kind of police kind of stuff i feel like that's a lot for some freaking traffic tickets bro the government gonna get their money jeez i feel like couldn't they gonna get that bro i got a speeding ticket for going three miles over the posted speed limit in a small town in uh south carolina on thanksgiving day that's shitty on thanksgiving day this was years ago but he the cop even was like and i told him i was like i got like the ticket he was going to be like 200 something dollars and i told him i was like look man i got like 80 bucks in cash on me and he was like well that'll work and then i felt like whoa this is dirty shit so i was like no nah, man i'll just i'll just take my ticket <laughs> i'm going about my way sir 
Um, so I did, but yeah, no, the governments the, they're gonna get their money, dude. That is ridiculous. Are they gonna have that ass? I mean, I feel like maybe we should focus our attention on like actual crimes. I mean, speeding is not good. Obviously, you can kill people. This but... is why I am not a fan of the police in general. I'm not like I don't I don't like want to defund the police, but I think their, their I mean... practices and tactics are shady at best. Like, yeah. I feel like if you have to, you have to use shady, potentially shady or gray area tactics to enforce the laws upon the people that aren't really, really, really out here breaking the law. The problem is, is they, in my opinion, is they, they have to get money from the layman on speeding tickets because all the court fees and shit that pile up from the normal offender who's out here robbing and stealing and, and, you know running out on bail you know like the criminal they're not paying who they're not paying that shit so they got to get their money from somebody and it's going to be joe blow who got a speeding ticket with a normal life and a normal job who's going to pay that shit <laughs> i don't I, know i, I, I could go get, on about the police for a long long time but. i was gonna say i could go off on about four different tangents but i won't do that um i've only ever gotten one ticket in my life and i'm a rule follower so like i paid it and i got very lucky so it was i think our daughter's second day of daycare after I'd had her. So she's like three months old. I'm, I've gone back to work, which I already did not want to do. And it was like an hour commute from our house to the daycare to work because you were in Knoxville at the time when we were still in Georgia. And so I dropped her off and I was on the Atlanta highway, which the speed limit should have been higher on the Atlanta highway anyways, because it's just like a straight shot. But I was in a zone and I was going 25 over. And I got pulled over and I didn't, I didn't want to ever be one of those girls that cried to get out of a ticket, but I was already, I mean, I'm, it was, a day. it was a day. It was a hard day. Anyways, I had just had a baby. You're not in your right mind. And so he comes over and I just immediately start bawling. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like I had to take my baby to daycare. And thankfully he had a 10 month old and he understood. So he's like, look, I got to write you one, but I'll do 10 over. And I was like, thank he you. He didn't have to do it. You know what I mean? It could yeah, have been well, a warning. Yeah. But I guess, cause I was speeding real bad. Um, cause if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. But, uh, and what made me mad is like, it was at a spot where they always were. I just, in that day, I was just disassociating, but I got very lucky. He was very nice, but yeah, I didn't realize that that is crazy. Anyways, you can for sure get hemmed up on not paying tickets in a very, very inconvenient kind of way. So, you know, the extent to which I am. I tend to be a rule follower. So what gets me are those stupid, uh, like the tickets you get in the mail for running the red lights. No. Because you don't that. actually have to pay those. No. But the rule follower in me is like, but you're supposed to pay it. But I'm like, that's no. stupid. I, I think we're going to get one to maybe two from the one in front of the mall because it wasn't my fault. It was green when I went, but the slow ass heifer in front of me took so long. That's also a very big intersection. You can literally, it can be green. You know what I'm talking about? Like where if you go mm -hmm. straight, yeah, I hate that stupid red light. So if we get one, that was my bad. Anyways, Marcy had a habit of not paying her traffic tickets. And there was also a mention of maybe her writing some bad checks. So that landed her in jail a few times. So in early 2003, Marcy was charged with criminal trespass and theft by taking and was put in the Clayton County Jail. I forget where it was written. It's in my notes somewhere. But that's all I could find about it. Like, there were no details about, like, where was she trespassing and why? What was she taking? Also, theft by taking is a weird charge. Because, like, if you if you thefted, if you burgled, you you took it. So, well, why I is think theft they, by they, taking different? There are, there are, it's like a, it's a multifaceted 
theft is multifaceted. You know what I mean? Theft by omission. There's like, you know, well, I didn't know I had that. I, I just got, I just picked that jacket up from the house. I didn't know that was in the pocket. You know what I mean? Like shit like that. So if I, I would assume that if they charged her with theft by taking, that there was enough proof and evidence there for them to say, yeah, that motherfucker took that. I'm going to put myself on blast. So when I was a teenager, American Eagle was my store. I love that store. And so I went in one day, I looked around, I Did guess. You burgle the American Eagle? Not on purpose. Ooh. I guess my bag had like hit the accessory rack. It, I get home and there's a pair of earrings in my purse. I'm allergic to metal. I can't wear American Eagle earrings. They, they were cute. I couldn't even wear them. So it was not something I would have. I was, oh my God. And you know, again, me being a rule follower, I was like, I'm going to go to jail. Oh, but also I wasn't going to drive back to the mall because I couldn't drive to the mall at the time. So it was just, it was a whole thing. So that's my big secret. That I accidentally stole earrings from American Eagle in like 20 years ago because they fell into my bag. <laughs> Here's some country ass country as a turnip green shit uh the guy my make mom, sure that you're not gonna incriminate yourself no I'm, okay i didn't do anything wrong i was just i was just your party was, to it i was well i didn't know what was going on until after the fact i was unaware at the time of the goings-on until we got back to the car but anyway the guy that my mom was married to when all the shit went down that got me into foster care his brother his younger brother, I, for, I don't remember ages. He was probably in his early to mid-20s or some shit. And his girlfriend, I forget. I don't know why or how or I ended, whatever I ended up with, with them for the day. I don't know. Anyway, it was just me and them two. And so we went to the mall. And I think it was it was one of the malls in Birmingham or some stores or whatever. But anyway, we went in there. We were just powwowing around, walking around, looking around. I mean, we were there for a while. I mean, in in a bunch of different stores. And then finally we get out to the car and they just start producing shit from their pockets. They had been in there lifting shit the entire time. The entire time. And I just remember, I was probably, I don't know, eight or nine, you know. And they That's a horrible example to set for a child. Uh, well, again, I hadn't, I was obl completely oblivious to it. While we were in there, I had, I had no idea, you know what I mean? I was just, I had no idea. And then I didn't know, like I said, to when we got in the car, they started pulling stuff out of, you know, there were, they, I think they had a couple bags. They wouldn't, I remember seeing them buy some stuff. They bought me some stuff, you know, I remember that, but. Well, yeah. they didn't, they didn't buy you some things. They, well, they, procured I think they you bought some, some small things because they bought me like a little, I don't know, like a koosh ball or some, I don't know, some little tiny, some little something for me to play around with. And I think they used the bags from those couple of places that we did buy stuff to shove all the other stuff in. You know what I mean? Because they pulled out stuff from, I mean, there was all kind of stuff. And I, I definitely remember going, well, I don't remember seeing y'all buy that. I remember having an epiphany as a kid in the backseat of this car thinking, oh, I think they stole that. Like it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, whoa, oh, oh. I had a conversation with our kid in Target. She trying to steal some shit? No, but she's very much my child. In like, and I think that's what I get. It's karma for all those times I've asked you, like, would you still love me if I was a worm or if I didn't have legs? Like, so now she oh, asks yeah. me questions, ridiculous questions all the time. So we we're in Target and she was like, what if somebody just picked this up and put it in their, in their bag and left? And so we had a conversation of, well, here's the thing. Cause she's like, people could just walk out. I was explaining to her how, look, they have cameras in here. I'm also like, so don't pick your nose or dig your butt in Target because the cameras can see you. But I'm like, 
that you might get out of the door with it. It's like, but they know your face. And so they're going to keep watching you. I was like, also what some stores do is they will let you steal and steal and steal until you have stolen a certain number dollar amount of stuff. And at that point it is a felony and they will have you arrested. And so I explained to her what a felony was and that she could go to jail. And I was like, moral of the story, don't steal things. So we just had that a, a conversation about felonies in the aisle at Target. Yeah. As we do. So, so Marcy, early 2003, she's been charged with criminal trespass and, and theft by taking and was put in the Clayton County Jail. According to Major, again, her new husband, he went to visit Marcy once while she was in jail. If I'm ever in jail and you, you better come visit me more than once. I'm going to be hot pissed because she was in there for several months. For writing bad checks? Uh, no, for a criminal trespass and theft by taking. Oh, yeah, that's the, okay, I got you. Here's the thing, though. Major claims then, that Mark, yes. So he only came, she was in there for months, and he only came one time? Yep, and I'm I'm going to expound upon that. So Major ex- claimed, Major claimed. It would claimed, depend on what you did. I don't know. I mean, like, what I, would I, I have like to do? Die, but. What would I have to do for you to not come visit me? I don't know. I mean, because I'm thinking, like, I don't know, piss on that. You know, I'm not. If I did something stupid, I don't want her to come visit me. And also, you know me well enough to know if I do something, it's justified. I, I don't do things willy nilly. I'm, I'm not, not a w- sneaking nothing in there in in my prison mark for you though. <laughs> I don't love you like that. Then you're not really a ride or die, are you? I will. I'm offended. So Major claimed <laughs> that that Marcy never told him why she was in jail, which I find a little strange. Like your wife's in jail and you don't know why she's in jail. Like, that's not a conversation I mean, you that had. that may be part of why she only got visited once. That is true. Like, I feel like that's the initial conversation that you have. Yeah. Also, I just I have a lot of questions. Anyways. Or how about the, hey, people are putting her in handcuffs. Well, what did she do, officer? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know why, but that makes me think of that Cat Williams skit about how you have to have white friends. Because they're going to be like, well, what did, what did they do? Murder. What did you do? Murdered who? <laughs> I need to watch that. That's very funny. So anyway, Major visited her, but then didn't see her again for like eight months, which I also find strange because I don't know if she was in jail during those eight months or if she was out and she's like doing her own thing. But apparently they didn't see each other for like eight months, despite the fact that they were newlyweds. Like That's weird. Is that not weird? It's pretty weird. And then what, one- man, people are People can be really, really weird in general. And I feel like really weird people kind of attract other really weird people. Me and you were both weird. Yeah, but we're like a diet. We're like a only weird at home weird. We're we're quirky. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's more accurate than weird. We're neurodivergent. Smidge, maybe. Yeah. So I'm they a funny one, though. Yeah. So they didn't see each other for like eight months. And then one day, out of nowhere, Marcy just called him up and they reconnected. When talking about their reconnection, Major said something that literally made me LOL. He said, quote, like I've always felt, even since the last time I'd seen her, that she'd always come back because she was spontaneous like that. Like, you know, just like bird shit in a sense. She'd just drop out of the sky on you. So that's kind of how we got back together, end quote. That lady's like like bird shit. Like bird shit. Just drop drop out of the sky. I hope I don't ever describe you like bird shit. I wouldn't be shocked because sometimes you... All the time you say things without thinking about the words that are coming out of your face. (laughs) It's it's just who you are. It's part of it, bud. Yep. So in October of 2003, Marcy, who was 28 at the time, was staying in a hotel at Marietta with Major. 
Money was tight since Marcy had lost her real estate business while she was in jail. So Major decided to sell the classic 62 Impala that Marcy had previously bought for him so they could pay for the hotel and have some spending money. It is Impala, right? Not Impala. Yeah. Marcy was trying to get her business back up and running. So she told Major that she was going to meet up with Carl. Remember her ex, Carl, slash business Mm -hmm. associate. Although I feel like most husbands would be a little perturbed if their wife, whom they've just reconnected with, was going to go and meet up with her ex-boyfriend. Like, I feel like most of y'all wouldn't be okay with that. But according to Major, the money from selling the Impala was about to run out and Carl was supposedly supposedly going to help Marcy secure some loans. So he was cool with it. And I hate to say it, but I feel like that kind of supports Shahada's theory that Major was a little bit of an opportunist because he's like, yeah, no, that's as long as you're like getting us some money, I don't care what you do with your ex. So Marcy meets up with Carl. He gives her a little cash. And so her and Major go out to eat. And according to Major, they have a great night. The next day, which is October 30th, 2003, it was Major's turn to go sketchily get some money. Apparently, he had a friend named Allison who worked in credit collections and she was going to give him some money. Not sure how or why or what for. Uh, But according to Major, he, quote, spent a little time with Allie, end quote, got his money headed back to the hotel, and he called Marcy to let her know that he was on his way back. The hotel they'd been staying at used physical keys because this is 2003, so they didn't use the little electronic mm-hmm. credit card-looking thingies. Right. And the room only had one key, so he had to meet up with Marcy to get to get the key to get in the room. So he calls Marcy, tells her that he's about to be back, and she's like, cool, I'm at the Kinko's. So Major gets out of Allison's car. He's still on the phone with Marcy, and he's like, okay, I'm heading over to the Kinko's. I'm going to see you in just a second. She's like, okay, cool, and they hang up. So the Kinko's was like right next to the hotel. So Major walks right over, goes into the Kinko's, and Marcy's not there. According to Major, quote, I'm calling her phone, calling her phone. Where you at? Where you at? Where you at? I'm thinking that maybe she's in the bathroom at Kinko's. So I'm looking crazy in the Kinko's. I'm walking around looking for her, and she ain't there, end quote. And I just thought it was funny where he was like, I'm looking crazy in the Kinko's. Mm-hmm. So Major goes up to the front desk and asks the Kinko's employee if they had seen Marcy. And they're like, no, nobody with that description has been in here. So Major's like, what the hell? So he starts thinking maybe she got confused and went to the hotel room or something. So he walks over to the hotel as he's getting off the elevator. One of the hotel maids walks over to him, hands him the room key and says, your friend told me to give you this. So he went to the room, unlocked the door and all of Marcy's shit was gone. Major kept calling Marcy over and over and over again for hours, but she never picked up. So finally late that evening, Major checked out of the hotel. He figured she'd probably run off with Carl. Um, He decided to call one of Marcy's sisters to see if they'd seen Marcy, but she was like, "Uh, no, the last time I saw Marcy, she was with you. So it wasn't unheard of for Marcy to go MIA because she was impulsive and just kind of did things. So at first, Marcy's family didn't really think much of it. But then Carl, the ex-boyfriend, showed up at Shahada's house and was like, hey, I haven't heard from Marcy in a while, which is weird because like they, they stayed in touch. So... Then he told Shahada, keep in touch. You know, I'll always be here for you. And he handed her a couple hundred dollars, which was apparently customary for him. Interestingly enough, though, that was the last time Shahada or anyone else in Marcy's family ever heard from Carl. And like, A, he told her, keep in touch. I'll always be here for you, which is kind of weird. But I mean, he had been almost like a part of their family for years. And then he just fell off the face of the planet. So interesting. by this point, Both of the dudes in Marcy's life have reached out to her family and been like, hey, have you seen Marcy? So Marcy's aunt, who was Shahada's mama, was like, hey, we probably need to talk to the police or file a report or something. 
Well, Marcy's mama wasn't really about it. And she was like, no, it's fine. It's not a big deal. She does this all the time. But Marcy's sister wouldn't let up. So finally, her and her mama did eventually go file a missing persons report. So, of course, when a woman goes missing or gets murdered, who is the first suspect? The husband. So the police reach out to Major, who didn't even know that a police uh, that a missing persons report had been filed. In his mind, Marcy wasn't missing. She was just off doing her thing. She was being Marcy. Major quickly realized from the detectives questioning, though, that they thought that not only was Marcy missing, but that Major had done something to her. And Major was shooketh. He was adamant mm-hmm. that he loved Marcy and would never hurt her. He also added, quote, I never raised my hand to her, and she ain't the kind of person you could raise your hand to. She's very athletic, and she ain't with that, end quote. <laughs> Major's funny. So one of the cops was real with Major and told him straight up that they thought he'd killed Marcy, which, according to Major, scared the shit out of him. Major told the Vanish podcast, quote, them telling me that they think I might have killed her, that's when shit got real for me. And from that point on, it's like, Marcy, pick up this damn phone. But she ain't picking up the phone. And then they put me through it. They did everything until they got their answers, end quote. Major would go on to say that the police eventually left him alone, and he figured that they had enough evidence, like hotel surveillance footage and Marcy giving the key to the maid, to cross him off their list. He clarified, though, that the police never told him that. That's just something he figured. And it made me wonder if they'd mentioned any of that evidence to the family, because the family definitely considered Major a suspect. Shahada said she'd wondered if maybe he'd gotten, maybe he had done something to Marcy because he was jealous about her still talking to Carl. And she claimed that a detective had told the family that he had found out some stuff about Major's background that he couldn't, that he couldn't disclose, which like, why even bring it up? If you can't disclose it, why even say anything? Like, I hate when people do that. Don't, if you can't say nothing, don't say nothing. Ugh, I hate that. So, Shahada also felt like the fact that the family knew hardly nothing about him was creepy because they didn't know what he was capable of, adding, quote, we don't know anything about him. We don't really know his character. He was always really quiet when he was around, end quote. Can can we please quit thinking that quiet or reserved or shy or introverted people are shady? We're just thinking. We're just thinking. It takes us a little while to warm up. That does not mean that we're going to kidnap or murder you. We might just be quiet. (laughs) Like it doesn't make, I mean, a lot of us are weird, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're weird. Anyway, Marcy's family didn't vibe with Major, who is suspect number one, because they didn't know him. But as they would learn, they didn't know as much about Carl, suspect number two, as they thought. Like I mentioned earlier, Carl and Marcy had dated for about six years and had spent a lot of time with Marcy's family. So they all loved him. Well, first of all, they learned that Carl wasn't even his real name. They didn't say what his actual name is, but it's it's definitely not the name that he told the Crane family. <laughs> So that's sketchy. Secondly, detectives had also found out some stuff about Carl, including the fact that before he moved to Georgia, he had been questioned about some murders in New York, which is where he was originally from. Shahada said that police were having trouble getting in touch with Carl for a follow-up and that one of the men, meaning Major or Carl, had refused a lie detector test, but she couldn't remember which one. Now, obviously, I only know part of the story, but from what I know, I imagine it was probably Carl that refused the lie detector test because, I mean, like he'd have to lie on the first question. Is your name Carl? No, it is not. So as far as Carl goes, last Shahada heard, he had moved back to New York. Marcy's family tried for years and years to get in touch with him, but couldn't find him, which was weird to them considering, like I said, they'd been really close to him and his family for so many years. They tried all the numbers they'd had for him for all the family members and none of them worked, which is sketchy as shit. Like, why would you and all of your family members change your numbers? I've had the same cell phone number since 2003. 
like I know there are some circumstances like when my football player students went to the NFL, obviously they changed their numbers or like when my best friend moved to another country, she got, she had to get a different number. It's weird though, that the entire family would get different numbers. Like that's weird, right? Or at least sketchy. That seems weird. Yeah. So around 2019. Here's my thing. Yes. Like anytime, I don't know, it feels like in these cases, there's always somebody going through some kind of pain in the ass thing and then being like, no, like people don't like changing your number. I don't know. I could be wrong. You could probably just call Verizon and say, hey, I want a different number and it's easy. But it seems like to me that. It would, it's an inconvenience, you know what I mean? Because then not only do you have you go through the process of changing the number, then you got to fucking tell everybody. Then everybody's got to program your number in. You know what I mean? The people right. that you, you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's not crazy difficult. It's just super inconvenient. You know what I mean? It's not. So I feel like I, my personal spotty senses get to tingling on shit like that. Or it's like when somebody does shit like that, it's like, well, why would all of y'all go through that same pain in the ass process? Right. When you can just not answer the phone. I mean, I never answer the phone. Right. Also, I was just thinking as you were talking about how none of us know phone numbers. I mean, obviously I know your phone number, but mm-hmm. like I still remember. So I had a friend that we met in kindergarten and we were best friends all through high school. I still remember her landline phone number. I, I don't know. I remember the first foster home that I was like, yo, this is how you do it. Oh, <laughs> I don't know any of my current people's numbers. That's like the only I- number outside of yours. And yeah, I don't know any of my, well, I know, I know my brothers. Like if you didn't have your phone, cell phone, you could call both of them. Well, their number is almost identical. They're just one number different. Oh, that's how me and my daddies are. Yeah. Yeah, I have no idea what their numbers are. Uh, I could call them. I could call you. I could call that old foster parent. <laughs> old foster parent. If they even still, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I haven't talked to them in a long, long time. But My two best friends in the entire world. I call 911. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> My two best friends in the entire world, I don't know their phone numbers. I have no idea. Is star 69 something <laughs> anymore? <laughs> I want... Can you do that on cell phones? Which I guess you don't need to. Ugh. Star 69, that takes me back. Star 67, I guess, was the like, hide your shit. Yep. Oh my God. Man, we're getting old, I guess. Like, I don't know if boys did it, but I was, I did many a three-way call. A secret three-way call where the other person doesn't know that I'm on the phone. That's just a disaster waiting to happen. Feelings that get hurt. high school drama. Just, ugh. Bunch of testosterone and misplaced misplaced testosterone and estrogen in high school is what that is. I know uh, this is shocking to you, but I was a little bit dramatic. I've been on here the whole time, you asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I heard uh, all that shit you said. Yeah, it, that was not. <laughs> I hope that children these days don't do that. I'm sure they probably we're do done. worse. I'm, we're done. No, uh-uh. I did it That's several. It. I did it several times to play wingman and then a few times it didn't go well. And I was like, Oh, that's awkward. So anyways, back to Marcy. So around 2019, Marcy's family was able to track down one of Carl's daughters on Facebook and they were hopeful that they'd be able to get some information that might be helpful, but it ended up being like a, Hey, how's your dad? We really miss him. And they're like, Oh, I'll tell him, I'll tell him you said hi kind of things. Like it didn't go anywhere. They were able to find some other people on Facebook who were connected to Carl those people never responded to any of the messages Marcy's family sent, which I also think is weird. I don't check Facebook hardly ever. 
So like I could, you know, conceivably maybe miss some messages. Personally, for me, if somebody started randomly hitting me up on Facebook about somebody, just the way I am, I'm initially would be like, what the fuck are you asking now? All them questions about, bud. Why are you asking me a bunch of questions? I don't, I'm, I always have a, what are you up to initial response to shit like, shit like that. I don't know. I, that's, I think that's the, like the street smarts in me. I get, I don't know. I'm, I'm not like saying I'm like hella street wise, but I feel like I've, I have plenty enough of it that shit like that makes me go, well, what are you up to? You know what I mean? That's why I don't like giving my information out, even when I donate to the Goodwill. I don't, I don't, you don't need my information. You could just have this free shit. But I'm weird I, like that, so I don't know. I, I, I kind of on some level understand them not, not answering those types of questions initially, at least. I have like three to five people from back home that I connect with in some way, shape or form. Usually it's like just liking their post or whatever, that if they message me, it would be fine. But anybody else, I'm going to assume they have a, um, have some kind of an MLM that they're trying to sell me. Like, I don't want, I don't want your oils or your potions or your shakes. I'm not a girl boss. I mean, I am a girl boss, but I'm not that kind of girl boss, but still, I think it's weird that they sent messages to a lot of different people. It's, it's, it's giving sketchy, but anyways, so in addition to our first two obvious suspects, there was a third suspect that people knew about, but they didn't actually know who he was. So Major told the Vanish podcast that Marcy had expressed concern about a guy she owed money to, but that's all he knew. And Shahada was able to add a bit more detail, saying that someone had lent Marcy $30,000. And one day while Marcy was driving, a guy tried to run her off the road and yelled at her, I'm going to get you. No one knows who that guy is, though. So that's sketchy. Well, see, here's another. This is a lot more of the ingredients for a murder or missing person stew. And that is when people, man, there was just so much sketchy. Uh, It it is, I am not surprised that this chain of events and or circumstances didn't lead to, led to that ultimately led to a murder or missing person. Yeah. Like, cause you can't fuck with people's money. No. Like if especially if it's a lot like I don't want to borrow money no ways. I think student loans scarred me from that. But if you can't pay it back, you need to not borrow it because people are going to come after their money and they're going to get it. Especially if you didn't borrow it from a bank and shit. Right. But but no, allegedly no one knows who that person was, who they who it even was that she owed the money to, which I feel like is weird because I mean she had to have known him well enough to be like, hey, can I have thirty thousand dollars? So you know that's also weird, but. Like many cases of missing black women, there are a lot of unknowns and a lot of unanswered questions. Like, we don't really know where the police stand on this case, which is now, I wrote 30 years old in my notes. It's 20 years. 2003 was 20 years ago. We're not that old yet. We don't know where the police stand. So all we have is opinions and theories and conjecture. So where, uh, remind me, where where did we decide, where, where did she go missing from? Where, at what point? Uh, October 30th, 2003, Marietta. So... So was she was seen. What was she, what was what was the whole vibes with her last? Well, shit? all we know is what that, is yeah. what Major told us. So Major said that. So he the day before she had gotten money from Carl, and they woke up when they got the next day. Major went out with Allison and got money from Allison. We don't know how or why, but he came back. And Marcy said she's at the Kinkos, but she was not at the oh, Kinkos. That's right. Okay, the Kinkos thing. Okay, okay. But she had given their key, their room key to the maid and been like, hey, give this to this guy. And then she'd take all of her stuff. So 
this is not like a she got kidnapped off the street. I see. But but it's still weird. So major this feels is a whole lot of other shit going on here. Yeah. So major feels like Marcy's family messed up when they filed the missing persons report and that it delayed the investigation. So remember earlier when I said that Marcy didn't change her name after marrying Major? Well, when her mama and sister filled out the missing persons report, they listed her name as Marcy Peterson, which would have been her married name if she had changed it instead of Marcy Crane, which was her maiden name slash legal name slash the name that she went by. So Major thinks that by listing her name as Peterson instead of Crane, it caused the police to focus solely on him and it kept them from seeing her arrest and probation records. So basically his whole thing is that the cops were barking up the wrong tree by looking at him, which means that they wasted precious time that they could have used to pursue actual leads. Major noted, quote, you know, I've been watching First 48 for years and it's like, 48 hours is your window, end quote. I love that he's a true crime baddie. But yeah, 48, <laughs> the, those first 48 hours, those are crucial. And he feels like that by having her name listed as something it wasn't, that it it wasted that time. Major claims that after investigators found out that her name was actually Marcy Crane, not Marcy Peterson, they left him alone. He assumes that they probably started looking at her criminal records, which may have played a role in her disappearance. He's adamant that he didn't really know why she was in jail that last time but that maybe it was a big enough deal to spook her. He also mentioned that she had been beefing with her probation officer. Ultimately, Major's theory is that Marcy's disappearance is either related to her criminal record or the $30,000 loan. I think and he she d- just dipped out. Well, yeah, but again... She's I in mean, Cabo somewhere, sipping on Mai Tais and... But she would have left her five kids. Maybe That's why... Like, fuck them kids. <laughs> I, I don't... I'm, some people are like that. Some people are like, look, you know... I feel like I didn't have a really good relationship with my kid. No way. You know, they, those kind of people suck then. Yeah. Well, th- those are the same kind of people that do shady shit and steal money from real estate dealings. I don't you know. Their brains are broken and shit. I don't think she, I think that she may have left the hotel willingly, but I don't think she disappeared willingly. Yeah. I think someone made her disappear. So in his interview with the Vanish podcast, Marcy's nephew, Jatarvis, introduced an interesting perspective and a theory when it comes to what happened to Marcy. So he acknowledges that his family has been super weird about her disappearance and never talks about it, saying, quote, it just seems like a forbidden conversation or something, and I feel like that's not for no reason, end quote. Jatarvis claims it took years for someone in the family to tell him that Marcy had disappeared, despite the fact that they'd been super close. He was actually in prison when Marcy went, when Marcy disappeared, and he was also in prison when he found out that she was missing. And he says that not a single person has said a word about Marcy's disappearance since he's been out of prison. And according to Jatarvis, his grandmother, who is Marcy's mama, has been throwing shade at Marcy to her kids, which he feels is inappropriate. Like, he's like, why would you want to try to paint a bad picture for like of her to her kids, which is a valid point. So between the shady stuff going on in the family and that seemingly rocky relationship that Marcy and her mama had had, at least when Marcy was growing up. Jatarvis has come to the conclusion that his grandma might have had something to do with Marcy's disappearance, saying, quote, it's just too much going on with her. She needs to be looked at, end quote. He goes, <laughs> he goes on to add, quote, I'm going to be honest, if she did it, she had help. And if she had help, it was my she other needs aunt. needs to be looked at. Yeah. I love that phrase, dude. <laughs> Why? Why? Just because it's so, it means so much with such little effort. She needs to be looked at. 
Like to me, I I just I feel like it gives it, plausible deniability. He can be like, I mean, I didn't tell, I didn't say I thought you did it. I just thought maybe you need to be looked at. Was there is there more like is there more within that that it means? Uh, I don't know. Maybe I maybe I took it out of a in a, in a weird context. I thought it was like a like she needs to be looked at, bro. There's something wrong with that one. No, he's saying it like, or she needs to be looked at as. As a suspect is what he's yeah, saying. I got you, fam. Okay. So he goes on to add, quote, I'm going to be honest. If she did it, she had help. And if she had help, it was my other aunt, end quote. So he's spilling all the family tea. So from what I gather, Shahada and Jatarvis are siblings. So it would have been their other aunt, who was Marcy's oldest sister. So Jatarvis alleges that there was a lot of abuse in the family and that he had even witnessed some of it. He claims that, quote, my oldest aunt got abused all her life. Then when she got to be an adult, Whenever my grandma felt like she needed to go jump on another one of them, she was always the one she got to help. So them two need to be investigated, end quote. Jatarvis acknowledges that he wasn't around when everything went down, so he doesn't really know anything for sure. But he had heard that his mama, the one that had basically had to force Marcy's mama to file the missing persons report, had told a detective that their mother, Jatarvis's grandmother, may have been involved. But according to Jatarvis, quote, they discredited her because at the time she was out in the streets on dope real bad and they discredited her <laughs> and my and my grandma probably dragged her name into the ground so they wouldn't listen to her. She didn't say that for no reason because the shit that she'd been through, the things that they've done to her throughout her life is probably the reason why she was on crack, end quote. I feel like Jatarvis is making some valid points and yeah. I think it's brave for him to come out against his family like that and I think he's right that I'm sure no one took his mama seriously since she was on drugs, which is unfair. Like, Maybe don't base your entire case on the hunch of a drug addict, but at least give him the benefit of the doubt. Like, don't just write him off completely. Yeah. So Marcy's daughter, Khadijah, who was 10 when her mama went missing, says she isn't really sure what she thinks because she's heard so many different stories. She told the Vanish podcast something interesting, though. Quote, I've been told it was kind of not sudden. Keep so, giving this other podcast so many free shout outs. It's so good. It, like it, And I got so much information from them. It wouldn't be fair for me to not. Um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a doctoral student. I got to cite my sources, but it really, it really legitimately is such a good podcast. So she told them, quote, well, if y'all go listen to him, y'all better just come right back here. Yes, for sure. Quote, I've been told it was kind of not sudden. So kind of planned, I'm guessing her saying to them, I'm going away for a while. Somebody watch these kids or something like that. So I feel like she wanted to have somebody watching us. Like, I don't think it's something she did out of the blue. I think she planned it in a way, but I just never know because, again, you get different stories from different people, end quote. Khadijah talked about the fact that raising five kids by herself was probably hard for Marcy, and she alluded to the fact that she wouldn't be mad if Marcy had left because life was too hard or she was in some kind of trouble. So that made me wonder what Khadijah had been told. Like, had someone made her believe that Marcy left willingly? Like, what would be the benefit of that? It just, It seems a little sus, like someone is wanting to put ideas into her head, which might support Jatarvis's theory. So from what I could find online, it looks like Marcy's mama, Barbara, ended up uh, raising Khadijah and her four siblings, Arquavius, DeWood, Tiffany, and Zakiah. According to a 2000 article in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Barbara had adopted Arquavius, who also goes by Q, when he was in elementary school. But he was 12 when Marcy went missing. So I'm confused. Like, had Barbara already adopted Q? while Marcy was still around? And if so, why? Did the newspaper get it wrong? Because they get shit wrong all the time. Did she adopt the other kids as well? If so, when? So I have a lot of questions. So anyway, the AJC article had actually been written about Q after he had broken his C5 and C6 vertebrae during a varsity 
during a junior varsity football game and had been rendered paraplegic. Side note, stories like this make me glad we have a girl because sports are dangerous. And I don't know if you, you remember. played a foosball? <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but I had a student once who'd been an amazing baseball player for university I, I worked at. That. And like, I have no doubt he would have gone to the major league. So for everyone listening during a game, he went for a ball and he collided head on with another player and he broke his C5 and C6 vertebrae. And he was permanently paralyzed from the waist down. I think he was originally maybe paralyzed from the chest down, but he did eventually regain some movement in his arms. Um, He's such, y'all, he's the sweetest kid. He's such a sweet, I say kid, he's like four years younger than me, but um, such a sweet kid. He was just, he was dealt like a super shitty hand. And I actually looked him up while I was writing this. And it looks like he works as part of the game day staff for a major league baseball team, which makes my heart happy because baseball was his passion. And I hate that like one accident took that all away from him. So anyway, Marcy Sun Q is now an author, an inspirational speaker, and an academic life coach. I couldn't find any information about Marcy's other kids. Although Khadijah did mention that she was a mom to two kids in the Vanished uh, podcast episode. Marcy Takesha Crane, sometimes listed as Marcy Peterson, was 28 years old when she went missing on October 30th, 2003. She was a black female, 5'8", 140 pounds. We don't really know what she was last wearing because I don't know that Major saw her that morning. I think he like got up and left. But it is likely that she was wearing a silver necklace, silver stud earrings, and silver sunglasses. So if I went missing and you didn't know what I was wearing, what things do I commonly wear that you would be able to be like, she was probably wearing this? Like jewelry or anything like that. You don't wear jewelry. I mean, other than your your wedding stuff. Well, and that little that little rose gold ring. Do you know which finger? Do you remember which finger I wear it on? And then on your other ring finger on your right nope, hand. Nope, it is not. The middle finger. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Middle finger on my right hand. Um, what? Anything else? Shit, dude. I don't know. It depend on if I didn't know where you was at. Had you been to work that day? Uh, let's say no. Then you're probably in a fuck. Uh, a long sleeve sweatshirt and either shorty shorts or <laughs> leggings. My best friend Elizabeth texted me after, I think it was, might've been the first or second uh, black and missing episode. And that's what she said. She's like, uh, you would be wearing short shorts or leggings, probably a, an oversized sweatshirt. Your hair is probably in a bun. that's like lopsided. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, and I wear glasses now. That's the thing that I wear now. And typically if I go anywhere, Definitely if I go to work, but a lot of times if I go anywhere, I wear my earrings that you bought me for Valentine's Day a couple years ago, the rose gold yeah. diamond ones. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know what I would, I guess if you went missing, I'd, I'd say you were probably in scrubs and there's a good chance he's lost his wedding ring since he's lost it like seven times. Well, I only lost it once for about two weeks in the icebox and the freezer. And then it <laughs> fell off when you had That's, your hand. Well, that same ring that I lost and found it like exploded like it, it flew flung off my finger i don't remember how it happened specifically but it you like, had your arm out your work truck window for whatever reason and you said it flew off and then you had one that like oh, bro- yeah. that broke i i went on a string of like not buying the the legitimately correct size ring like I, I felt like the right size ring felt way too snug and it like i was worried about like it getting stuck on my finger for whatever reason and so like i i would i just i don't know i'd always heard about the whole what do you call it when you your ring rips your foot like that shit that happened to jimmy fallon oh yeah i know what you're talking about um i can't think of what it's called so i always had i it was like like a size bigger than it should have been and so it was always prone to slide i don't know man i'm on these 
these little silicone rings and they fit snug and they get off when I need it and that does that's not sweating under there. So I don't have an issue with that. The only issue I have now is when like that last one that tore, but I had had it for a while. Do you remember I have, when I when I was pregnant and my rings got stuck on my finger? I do vaguely, but I do. Meemaw for the win. I called Meemaw in a panic because I tried everything else the internet mm-hmm. the, the twenty eleven internet. I don't remember what she told me to do, but it worked. If you need something you go to a, a 90 year old Meemaw and she's going to have, she's going to have some backwoods, like farmer's almanac. Mm-hmm. Like this is what you do. And it's going to fix whatever it is. And she did. <laughs> Your um, mom's little voice has always been so funny to me. Yeah. Just her little speech cadence rhythm. You know, she didn't talk till she was four. Well, I I mean, that tracks considering that how she talks, the like way a, she talks. It's just, a, it has a certain rhythm to it. According to Meemaw. Well, it's a rhythm and sound. The what her her little her little voices. Meemaw's real Appalachian. According to her, she had these like knots on like her. Sh- this, I know this is gonna make no sense. But I'm telling you what Meemaw told me. She had these like knots either like on her neck or on her shoulders, and she couldn't talk. And this preacher like came and like laid hands on her, and the next day the knots went away and she talked. Really, I think Meemaw has got the tism and. Just didn't talk till she was four. But in 1938, autism wasn't a thing. She's just the kid. She's just a little odd. She was, she was a little off. A little odd, a little off. Um, We ventured very far away. So Marcy, they're pretty sure she's probably wearing a silver necklace, uh, silver stud earrings, and silver sunglasses. Marcy has a tattoo of a Chinese symbol, approximately one to two inches high on the back of her neck. Another Chinese symbol tattooed on her mid to lower back. And the name Carl... Tattooed on her left boob. Carl. Carl, which I'm like. The last one's name's Carl. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure that Major loved seeing that. Like, just right there. So now I have a, another question for you. <laughs> you get with Rob on your left one. Absolutely not. Rob. Um, what, what tattoos do I have and wear? I'm quizzing you today. Well, how is that a quiz? This is this is a open book test. <laughs> we're, I, not, I, we're not in the same room. How can it be open book? But I, well, I mean, I want to see. Like, there's I want to no see. No question. I know where all your errors are at. You've got one on your wrist. Okay, what got, what is it? And which which wrist? It's your right wrist. It is. What is it? You. I mean, I'm throwing all your business out there. It's your little three. Yeah, I don't care. Just be just I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you real quick. Be mindful of how you word the one that you're gonna try to be a duty about. You have one on your scenario. It is it is on my hip. It is not on my scenario. (laughs) What is it? What is it a tattoo of? (laughs) If you showed somebody your tattoo in a mini skirt, I would say that you just pulled your scenario (laughs) out. I'll have you know. I would say if I were an un, uh, uh, an unassumed, uh, an innocent observer, I would say that lady over there just pulled her scenario out. I have been drunk and you showed people showed that. that other person her cash and prizes. <laughs> I have been drunk before and showed people that tattoo. Then you pulled your scenario I out. Didn't, I didn't. Drunk. I didn't. I did not. I did not. Because it is on my hip. Thank you very much. It's close to your hip. It is on my hip. Mm. So what is it? Is it? 
but it's it says in floor like bro i i know all of these bro okay you got the wiener dog on the on the left foot you got the heart on the right foot i mean <laughs> i didn't think he was gonna get it because i feel like he forgot one recently i know all of yours i just i don't know if i remember which arms and i you have more boundaries than i do so i'm not gonna throw your business out there and say what all yours are but we do both have our uh the ones that we got in a basement that we traded for a bottle of Cabo Wabo. Mine's an Alabama Tide. Uh, it says Roll Tide. And you it's had very to get, shittily done. It is super shittily done, as is it the is, heart. Yeah. Because turns out if someone, if you want a pink heart and someone draws the heart on with a blue ink pen, it then is this really shitty mauve color. Yeah. Yeah. But shouts out to the, uh, the tattoo artist in California when I got my wiener dog who felt bad because he had to charge me the shop minimum and it wasn't a big tattoo. He was like, you want me to fix that other one? I was like, could you? That'd be great. But it still looks like shit. Okay. If you have any information on the disappearance of Marcy Crane, you can call the Cobb County Police Department at 770-499-3862. Marcy has been missing for 20 years and would be 48 years old today. So I want to talk about some interesting connections between Dee Dee Collins and Marcy Crane. So I randomly ran across an article by the vivid faces of the vanished that touched on some of the similarities between the two women. So they both vanished from the Atlanta area with Dee Dee vanishing from Atlanta proper and Marcy vanishing from Marietta, which is a suburb of Atlanta. They vanished two months apart. So what uh, Marietta is just North Atlanta. Is it North? I thought it was like West, but I don't know geography. Well, so. I, I, I Northwest Atlanta, I, I think. I, I don't have, know. I have a friend from Marietta. Uh, she probably does not listen to this. I just, oh, Marietta always felt like just the outskirts, right on the edge of the outskirts. Kind of like where I feel like we live in Knoxville. You know what I mean? It's like that similar vibe. It ain't in town. but Yeah, it's no, not it's not in Atlanta. It's a suburb. Yeah. Yeah. So they vanished two months apart. Dee Dee went missing in August of 2003. Marcy went missing in October of 2003. Almost exactly two months apart because Dee Dee went missing on the 28th and Marcy went missing on the 30th. They both had five children. They were both Gemini's. I added that one. They See, both... that's what I'm talking about. All them damn kids. There are 10 kids with mama trauma now. Yeah. Just out there in the world having to deal with that shit. And but... wait till those decisions. Wait. And then when they have their own kids and then their mama trauma starts fucking with them when they have their own kids. I'm just saying. It's a yeah. vicious cycle. People quit. You quit inadvertently and, and, and I don't know. Think about kids free have them is all. Just think about it real, just real quick. Just say. We're, we're also going to make clear that we are not in any way victim shaming because we know that. No, 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 no. Just putting that out there before we get. We don't victim shame. Around we here. don't. Not on I this podcast. We don't. Things. Yes. Yes, you do. So uh, both <laughs> women worked in the real estate industry and they were both married, but low key dating somebody else. I couldn't find any credible links between the two, any other credible links between the two cases. But you have to admit, those are a lot of things to have in common. Mm -hmm. It's a little sus. So I will tell you, well, A, I'm gullible, which is a personality flaw that I have of I easily believe people. I give people the benefit of the doubt too quickly. But from listening to Major talk on the Vanish podcast, I don't think he was involved. Like uh, I was going to say that earlier, that he sounds... Like to me, he's not giving off. I uh, made somebody go missing vibes. Right. Like, he's, a you know, he gives off like, bruh, I ain't, I ain't, my name's Bennett and I ain't in it, bruh. I ain't, you know what I mean? 
Right. Like, A, I doubt that he would be so willing to Right. He's go been on this very path. nonchalant and like, I don't know. And he like, clearly has nothing to hide, I think. And, and I don't know what the man looks like. He has a nice voice, but I imagine he outkicked his coverage because like she was a hottie McHottie and she had money and he didn't have shit. So like, why would he get rid of his, his cash cow essentially? Right. Mm -hmm. And then I legitimately think that he like, if he wasn't madly in love with her, he was definitely infatuated. Like he went on and on about her and the podcast opened with a quote where he said he's only loved two women in his life, his mama and Marcy, which I was like, oh, that's really mm -hmm. sweet. What's weird though is I, I don't think Major is actually his name. I think it's a nickname because I could not find that man anywhere, nowhere where he existed. So, but yeah, I I encourage you to go listen to the, the Vanish podcast episode because it's really good and they just do. Like, again, I like how you are hearing it from the mouths of the people that knew them. Like there's a little bit of like narrative woven in, but by and large, it's just these people close to them telling you about them and what happened, which I think is nice. So I hate to do this to y'all, but we've been doing this for well over an hour and we're only on page 28 of 48. So we're going to call this part one and we'll have part two. And y'all, if you're listening to this, you got to come back next week because next week's case is the craziest of all of them. And it's going to, you're going to see the the final piece in the, the common thread that's been woven through all of these. You have to come back. You have to. So thank you so much for listening to the It's Murder Y'all podcast. As always, sources for this episode will be listed in the show notes. Please subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend, tell your mama. We'll see y'all next week. Lord willing and the creek don't rise. Love you, bye.